Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. God, thank you so much for everything you've done for us. We love you, and uh, we appreciate your word. We ask that you will open up our minds and our hearts this morning as we try to dive into what you want to teach us. Um, so that we can walk away and understand something about your word, understand something about you, uh, our relationship with you. Thank you for everything. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the most primal, basic instincts of, excuse me, the human experience is to find pleasure in this world. We stalk it like a hunter hiding in the, in, the, in the reeds with a spear. We look for this opportunity so that we can feel pleasure of some sort, bliss. In fact, it's such a big deal, we've created our own vocabulary for words like this. They're very vague words. There's not a, um, they, they tell you really nothing. It's just this thing, we try to put words to a feeling and we say things like bliss drunk, high, lit. We look for these opportunities to, these words to say, to describe this feeling, to put to a thing that we're chasing that we rarely ever truly find. We're always looking for something to whisk us away. Now what's funny is as I say that, some of you are like, I don't. Some of you are like, I do. But it's true. We look for something. For some of you, it's intellectual stimulation. I need to have a brilliant conversation with somebody else or I'm done. Like this, I can't sit here and talk to children anymore. Like I need to talk to an adult. Some of you are, are in that place of just like, I'm just trying not to think about what happened behind me the years before. Because there's this depression, this guilt of the things that we did before. See, we have these inadequacies. We have this thing about, and mine is this. Mine is the, the monotony of life. <laughs> like, we're driving down the road one time, going to uh, one, of, one of my daughter's basketball games. And I don't remember where we were going. Um, Central Heights, uh, Santa Fe Trails, somewhere. And I don't even, and I'm terrible, terrible directions, I'm a terrible navigator. So we're going down the road, and whatever stretch of road it was, all of a sudden it just came over me, and I'm looking at the highway, and I just, my wife sat beside me, and I go, boring! And she goes, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I can't do this. One more, I can't. You're gonna have to drive. I gotta get out of this truck. She's like, what is wrong with you? I can't sit here and look at this. It just keeps going straight for 90 million miles. Mike Doherty and I took a motorcycle trip this last, uh, this last October. There's a stretch of, stretch of road between uh, Guymon, Oklahoma, and Boyce City, Oklahoma, in the Panhandle. There's a stretch of road. It is, I'm not kidding you, 61 miles of the flattest, straightest road in the entire universe. It has to be. We're going down this road, and by the time we got to the 61 miles, and I'm guessing it was probably about seven miles into it, to where I'm looking at Mike, and I'm like, 
I can't, why are we doing this? As far as you can see this way, road. As far as you can see that way, road. If you took me off my motorcycle and spun me in a circle, I wouldn't know which direction to go. No landmarks. 61 miles. You've been there? Have you seen this stretch of road? There should be like a rest stop there just to like in a rake so that you could gather up your sanity somewhere between the two places. It's unbelievable. We played leapfrog. We played dodge the center line. We rode on the rumble strips. We were, and there was no traffic, none. Nobody coming, like an apocalypse. And it was just me and Doherty looking at each other like, this is pretty lonely, isn't it? Like, <laughs> out of my mind. Mine is the monotony of life. Like, life cannot get boring and monotonous for me. There better be something going on. Because if it does, if it gets down like that, for some of you, it's the anxiety of the future. It's the uncertainty of the future. And so we're always looking for this pleasure thing to pull into the scene. Always looking for some way to do it. And some people call it an escapism, like an escape. Of the human experience, what are some of the main things that we think about as top human experiences? Ways that we can escape what's going on inside of our head, in our life, in our past, the uncertain future. What are the things in this life that help us get away from that? Ready, go. Okay. I'll name the first one so that you're not sitting there thinking it, okay? Can we move on now? Like, okay, good, he said it. All right, good. What else? Oh, well done. I'm just going to write social media, all right? What else? Facebook, Twitter. What else? What do we do? Say it again. Oh, right on. I like eating. I like fine dining. Nice. I'm going to put a dollar sign so that we know it's fine dining. Like the upscale, like McDonald's. <laughs> Typically, I like Casey's, but McDonald's when I'm feeling, you know. What else? Sports. Sports. Good. Movies. Was that movies? Is that what I heard? Sports. Look for these ways to get out. Okay. Now listen, let's move away from, let's move away from moral. Let's just, let's just talk, name it. Like, what is it? Drugs. Alcohol. Right? You could say all day long, like, well, that's not good. Does it work? Okay. Come on, give me some good ones, like. I figured somebody was going to yell something like, holding a baby in your hands as soon as it's born. It's... I like writing letters. Oh, writing letters. Well, that's awfully nice. 
I'm going to put babies. Babies are nice. It looks like we got rabbits, but babies is what it says. Okay? You got it. I got it here. I thought of it before you. I got it. Well, I mean, I didn't say it, say it, but good. Well done. Thank you for saying it, though. I appreciate it. I thought we were going to have to wait here all day for somebody to say it. Yes, 100% right. 100% right. So we go down this list. Does any one of these things continually work? None of them really hit the mark. None of them. For a second. But then it's like, eh. Geared up for a nice dinner. You go in, get the steak. I don't like it. I don't like it burned. When it rare comes out, it's brown all the way through. I'm angry. I've had better. My expectation was so built up. This is going to be so good. This is what I love, a good steak. And I sit down, and I go to eat it, and I put my knife in it, and nothing comes out. Open it up in the middle. It's the same color as the outside. Never coming back here again. Never going to come back here again. Doesn't always, even when it's perfect. You know what I do? I eat until I'm so sick. I get in the truck, and I'm like, I'm never going to eat again. Like, oh, I shouldn't have ate so much. Like, oh. Then I regret it. None of these things. Here's the deal. Let's start here. Do you know how? Of course you do. Do you know how much work this requires to keep that there good in a good place? You know, this tops the list of the top three things that husbands and wives fight about, right? This is one of the things at the top of the list. You know how difficult this is to just... The frank conversations that you have to have that are awkward, which well, I, don't know, I don't understand why they're awkward. You've gone through every humiliating moment that you could possibly go through with this person in your life, the only other person other than maybe your mother. And here you are with this bread and you can't say the thing that's on you. This is... Am I just talking about me? Is this anybody else? Maybe. <laughs> okay, then forget what I said. But these frank conversations, the work that goes into it, listen, trying to decipher the code, trying to like look at it and be like, hey, I think, I think it was like me and her are getting along. Good. What? No, we're not. We're not getting along. You know what you did and it was last week. I'm so lost. I'm calling someone. Like, I'm going to phone a friend on this deal. Yeah, hello. Can I? I mean, she's lost it again. I don't know. And it's true. This is difficult. Social media. Social media works because you can get on it. You can accidentally get on Facebook, open up your phone, and you're like, oh, I think I'm going to call so-and-so. And you hit the Facebook app, and you're like, I'll call so-and-so later. You just keep going because it'll just suck you right in. But it only takes about seven seconds or an election season before you're done with social media. Right? Because you're like, this is fun. Like, this is so fun. Okay, so here we come to, mid here we come to midterms. I mean, right here at the, the, the whole middle part of it, we're looking forward to, so what are we going to do this day? Start of these people. Something political happens. Oh, then we're done. Somebody says something. 
somebody you love and respect and now they disagree with you? I had no idea they were a Republican. <laughs> Never gonna go see them again. They probably voted for it, whatever. It's always the way it is. So this doesn't work. Eating, come on. We talked about this. Sports, oh, it's awesome when the team with the shirt you like beats the team with the shirt you don't like, right? And that's awesome, but then every once in a while, your laundry list gets beat by somebody else's laundry list, right? And when your team doesn't win, sports suck. Unless you're Luke, and then you're just like, no, I'm hanging in there. I'm going to be a Royals fan and tell him. Oh. <laughs> like, it'll pay off someday, buddy. Just freaking roll of the dice. It's got to happen at some point. You know? Or until all of a sudden, all these teams start taking a, taking a knee at the anthem. And then what do you see on social media? People jerking their jerseys off, taking flamethrowers. It's beautiful. What is going on? Sports make sense, and then all of a sudden, it doesn't make sense. Movies. That moment when you get to escape, which I love movies. I love movies. I love just sitting and watching. You know, enter this other world. Set in the theater by myself. Just wait. Watch some, you know, long, epic drama. Hopefully it's got, you know, Hugh Jackman in it and he's singing a song, you know. Which at this point is like any other movie he puts out, you know. It's, uh, I love it. But you know how many times I've come home from the theater? Me and a buddy go watch a movie? Well, it's like, how was the movie? <laughs> Crap. Crap. I expected this, got that, hate that. Drugs. You can say, it does alleviate the pain, doesn't it? True, true. It works, doesn't it? True. But I bet you there's people here who are the son or daughter of a drug addict who you could tell us a completely different story about how it doesn't work. Babies? <laughs> I got one word for you. Puberty? Oh, they're so cute. Get out. Get teething? Well done. Colic? <laughs> what? Or that experience. Oh, I listened. I was reading this, I was reading this uh, article. Top human experiences that you must experience. And this guy was talking, he was just like, you know, I don't have kids, I'm not married, but this lady was talking the other day about this and that, and I got to thinking, like, maybe I do. Maybe I do want to have kids someday. Like, I don't know. Like, they say it's the top human experience, the, the pinnacle of exhilaration when you hold a little baby. Listen, I was in there. I was in there when my oldest was born. Not at all how I felt. They were like, are you ready? You want to come in? I'm like, no, like this one looks like she's not going to make it over here. You know, you got to cut in half. I don't even, 
this, this one looks fine. You handle that. Let's get a Band-Aid over here or something, you know? He's looking at me like, uh, I don't think that's how that works. I'm like, but I hear the beeping noise, and it can only make one more noise, you know? It said beep, 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 but this had moved to beep, 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 beep. There's only one noise that comes next. Babies? A little stressful for me. How about make that machine not make that next noise? You handle that one, get a Band-Aid on this one. We'll go home and never do it again. How about that? I promise. We'll do our very best to never, ever do it again. This is terrible. We did it again. It was worse. It was worse. It's terrible. Like, this is, this is a bad decision. Like, we are for really not ever doing this again. You can say, like, there are these things, and it comes over here, and they're good, and they help to relieve, relieve the pain. But at the end of the day, like, you know, like, all of this, this becomes a great big huge zero. It's for moments. It all has a half-life. It all has a depreciation. And so then when we begin to read and we begin to look at what Solomon has to say about life, he came to the same conclusion as us. Check this out. Ecclesiastes, chapter 2. If you don't believe that we are in search of something, I want to share something else with you in just a moment. Let me read you this verse. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. <clears throat> verse 11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless in a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Did I lose my glasses somewhere? Must have. Nothing was gained under the sun. He says, when I stopped and I turned around and I looked, and I looked at my life again, here's what I realized. Nothing was gained. The word is profit. Like profit, like I made a profit. Nothing was gained. After everything that I have done, Nothing was gained. If you don't believe that we're on the search for something else, then you're not going to believe what I tell you next. Churches have bought into this same idea. They want to peddle goods to a group of people. And most of the time, as far as the church goes, like we're not going to deliver on these goods. What I'm doing here and what you're doing here, if you're waiting on me to sell you on Jesus, and that's my job, if that's what you think my job is, to sell you on Jesus... Uh, Jesus probably should have thought this through a little bit better and found somebody who's a better salesman than me. And number two, you probably should have thought this through a little bit and maybe picked a different hobby this morning. I can't sell you on that. But churches do. And we start all the way out in the front yard. Let me read you a list of church names. Church names. If you Google this, if you can, of course you can Google anything, but if you Google cool church names, which is, because I was just curious, like I wonder if there's like, people are writing in like, looking for a name for your church, there's some really cool ones. Here they are. Epic Church. Kinetic Church. Pulse Church. Venture. Recreate. Launch, movement, motion, dynamic, verve, 
And of course, my all-time favorite, the crux. So we are always looking for something, something cool, but something that will help relieve the pain. And Solomon sat down and was just like, I need something something to change all of this. Now, here's what's interesting about Solomon. Solomon's whole deal is this. I have all the wisdom in the world. God has blessed me with wisdom, but I'm going to commit myself in wisdom to looking into life to see if there is something here on this planet that can actually, what we talked about last week, sustain me. Is there something that can sustain me here on this planet? We all have this question, all of us. Is there a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a man, a woman? Is there something that would sustain me if only I had fill in the blank? You know what it's like when you get something new and you think, you know what I need? I need a new whatever. If I had a new whatever, I would be set. So then you spend your time, you spend your money, saving maybe, go to the bank, get a loan. You get the thing that you want. How long does it take to wear off? Not long. You get over it pretty quick. You know why? Because here's what you realize. A lot of other people have owned those. But you didn't know that until you got one, right? You look at it like, how many other people have one of these? Lots of people do. They're everywhere. Not nearly as awesome as you thought. Nothing sustains. And Solomon is wondering... Can something sustain? But see, Solomon's is different than ours. Here's what Solomon was doing. Verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds, flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. The delights of the heart of man. It's kind of different than like I built a koi pond in my backyard for my wife once. Not really the same thing. Solomon, if you listen to this, I planted fruit trees. I don't know if you've planted a fruit tree, but that doesn't happen very quick. I mean, you can plant one pretty quick, but if you're planning on eating fruit, like, you're going to have to postpone that for a little while. Also, if you're going to go ahead and purchase slaves, as what Solomon is talking about here, and then there's others that were born in, you're talking about this guy has now raised families of slaves inside of here. He's now built these people inside of here, and these families, he's raising them up through here. He's built um, reservoirs to water all of these water gardens that are around here and all these flower gardens. This isn't an afternoon, one, like a trip to Home Depot and then a Saturday. That's not, this is not what he's doing. This is, he, he uh, focused in on for years, I'm going to get to the bottom of life and see if there's anything there. Here's his response. Verse 10. 
Chapter two, verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work and this was the reward for all my labor. Then verse 11, here we are. Yet when I surveyed what all my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Useless. Can you see him? Setting in the palace, maybe a balcony up top. Setting in his now obviously an uneasy chair, not an easy chair. His mind is just spinning because now he has worn calluses on his hands, moving rock, moving ground, moving people, moving water, changing the flow of rivers, doing all of this stuff. Now he sits here. He looks out over the top of it and he goes, nothing. See, because here's what Solomon understands. And this is what wisdom is. Wisdom is this. That means that you understand what comes before pleasure and what comes after pleasure. Wisdom is, this is what happens before your present situation and after your present situation. This is what wisdom is. When you can look at a situation, young kids, listen close. Young ones, listen close. If you can look at a situation where you are right now and think to yourself, if I make this decision, what's it going to look like in the future? If you can do that, that's wisdom. That's wisdom. That's being able to see on this side of it and on this side of it. To look and say, how could this go bad? Because as a kid, like I was really good at the other part. You know how this could all go good. I could romanticize a situation in my head. This could be awesome. I could go be this and do that, and it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be all my best thinking just about got me in more trouble than I ever needed in my entire life. Ever. Because I refuse to ask the question, how could this go sideways? Wisdom is being able to look at the before and the after of the present situations, to look back on history and say, I think I know people who've tried this before and I don't think it ended well. And to say, you know what, if I did this, I wonder if this could cause this and this and this. If we can do that, that's wisdom. And so at the end of it, Solomon says this. I did all this thing, all this work, but you know what it did? I found some great pleasure. You heard it right here in verse 10, 9 and 10. He says, that was the gift. I looked at this work and I loved it. Listen to what he says right here. Uh, verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work and this was the reward for all my labor. I loved working in it, doing it, being in it, building this stuff, putting my hands, chiseling these rocks, carving these cuts. Loved it. Then when I sat back and I looked at it and I sat and I tried to enjoy it, you know what it's like, don't you dudes, when you build something or you cut something? If you've done anything inside of your home and every time you walk by it, you look at it like, eh, I hate that. You know what I should have done? I'm not going to do it next. Ah, I knew better than that. I tried to do some crown molding one time. I'll be calling to have that done from now on. Like, it required like a half-inch silicone strip by the time I got done. And another quarter-inch of paint. That's what it required for me. Because I'm terrible at it. 
Plus, I'm bad at numbers, and then you got to know angles, and you got to be able to move your saw. No, terrible at it. Don't call me for that. I'm not doing it. I'm bad at it. There's no way. And he says, now I sit back and I look at it all, and I'm like, I'm not pleased. Didn't do anything for me. This is the brilliance of it all. This is the brilliance of it all. He says, while I'm doing the work, I could love this little part. But when I got done and it was over and the project was done, now what? Some of you are like that, aren't you? You've got to have a thing going all the time. You've got to be involved in a thing, doing a thing all the time. If there's not a thing, if there's not a project, if you're not up and going, if you're not on your way out the door, bye, honey, love you, bye. Like sitting around, you can't do it. Got to have a thing. What happens when all the things are over? Or how about this one? What happens when you get injured? Oh, I feel bad for Mike McEwen because I think about, every time I see him, I think to myself, like, I remember when I had to ride that stupid scooter and my leg was all hung up like this. Oh, and I'd sit on my porch with a pellet gun. I'm not kidding you. I thought to myself, if a bald eagle comes by, I'll shoot it. <laughs> I'm so bored. I'll shoot anything that comes. I will eat a meadowlark before this is over with. I'll shoot a freedom glider right out of the sky with my pellet gun. Like, I'm, I can't do it. Not really, but the psychosis was tilting that way. You know, I can't. Can't be like this very much longer. And Solomon's like, then it was all over with, and it was done. <sighs> now I'm bored. It's over. What else do I do? What else can I do? Tear it down and build it back again? That's stupid. That's nonsense. No. But see, then he talks about the other side. You know what else is worse? You know what else is bad about it? That at some point, I'm going to take everything that I've just done and built, that I put my time and effort into, that I value, and I'm going to take it, and I'm going to hand it over to some idiot who's not going to care about it like I care about it. This life is stupid. So you spend all your time collecting all this stuff, building all these things, and you get to stand back, barely get to enjoy them, and then you think, well, maybe I'll hand it over to somebody else and they'll get to enjoy it. Now, that's not a bad line of thought because the first one seems a little bit selfish, doesn't it? This is about me. I'm going to build this and build this. I'm going to do this. This is about me. I'm going to keep scratching the itch, pushing the, uh, the, uh, the dopamine button in my own brain like I love this. Oh, this is, oh, this is great. But then this one, he turns into, maybe you'd say, uh, maybe this is about passing it on to your kids, leaving inheritance, you know? Maybe that's what it is. Well, that road is just about as short as the other one, maybe shorter than the other one. Because you know what kind of people you're surrounded by, don't you? So you spend your years sacrificing so that you can accumulate, let's say, wealth. You spend your years trying to accumulate wealth and you bring it all in, that comes with the sacrifice. Who lost in the deal? I'm not saying just because you're wealthy, your family lost out, but truth of the matter is this. It requires a lot of sacrifice to put that kind of, that kind of bread in the bank. Did the family lose? Maybe the family lost out a little bit. You had to sacrifice. Did you get to enjoy your wealth? Well, it's kind of hard to get to enjoy your wealth if you're busy making your wealth. That requires sacrifice. So not only do you get to have wealth, but now you don't really get to enjoy your wealth. Why? Because if I'm going to go make a million dollars, you know what I'm going to do next year? <laughs> Blow it all. Like in my mind, let's, let's spend it. I made it, let's spend it. What's the point of it sitting in there? That's the way my mind works. 
why Luke handles the finances. <laughs> like, we should buy some laser lights. <laughs> Luke's like, you're an idiot. Go, go get your crayons and go back to your office. And so what we do is we gather and we gather and we gather and we gather. We don't get to enjoy. So maybe it's about passing it on to somebody else. Maybe that's it. <laughs> Here's the problem. What's your investment in my thing? What's your investment in my thing? I slaved away on this deal. I'm the one that worked on it. And I'm going to turn around and write it off to my kids. Are you kidding me? My kids are wonderful. They're beautiful. They're intelligent kids. But I'm telling you, if I got a million dollars at the end of, the, at the end of my life, you think I'm just going to put it in a check form and hand it right over to them? You're outside your mind. We've got to figure something else out. Those two? No. One's going to buy bubble gum. The other one's going to buy a million sets of earbuds. That's what we're going to do. You know what we should do? We should get some gum. We should buy stock and gum. Maybe bubble gum. I don't know. Maybe. And the other ones are going to need more earbuds, you know? Okay, so I don't, what are we going to do? Their investment is not the same investment that I have. So I hand it over to them. Okay, so let's say I dodge them. I'm going to hand it over to the people around me. My taste is different than the people around me. Things I value are different than the other people. See, that's the hard part. Somebody passes away, oftentimes in churches, here's what happens. They will say, we would like to donate $1 million to the church. That is awesome. We will be set forever. There's so many things we could do only, but only if you spend it on choir robes. <laughs> we don't have a choir. And we're not going to get one. And if we did, we're not putting <laughs> bathrobes. You can have this million dollars so long as you spend it on. Keep it. Keep it. Because you know what we really need? To finish remodeling the bathroom. That's what we really need. Not choir robes. The interest, your investment and my investment, they're different. Solomon quickly gets there. What's the point in this life? So what? I accumulate all this stuff to what? Hand it over? Who knows if the guy behind me who's coming in, who's going to take what I have, is going to be a fool or not. Politics is a crazy deal to me because you see somebody come in and for max eight years, they begin to develop all of these programs and then the next guy comes in and immediately he goes just like this. That's dumb. And kicks it all over. All that work, all this investment, the whole nation's like, this is going to be awesome. And this guy's almost got it off the ground. And finally, he just got a little bit of air underneath it. And it's like, oh, this is going to be great. And the new guy comes in and is like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> he just punts it right off the stage. Wow. Who knows? Solomon says, this is dumb. This is dumb. This is dumb. This world is absolutely pointless. Then here's his main point. You cannot get away from the sorrow. You can only relocate it. When would you like yours? When would you like your sorrow? You want it on the front side? Sacrifice, work hard, go big, make everybody else suffer while you go to work and you do your thing. Take your suffering now. 
Oh, you don't want it now? Put it on the backside. Grab it all, do it all, love it all, invest in it, be right in the middle of it. Just absolutely love your own life. Let it be about you. Special music by you. Special appearance by you. Make it about you. And then at the end of your life, there's nothing. It's just you. You lose. Too many sacrifices. Or maybe what Solomon is saying is this. You can also move it all the way to the very, 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 very front. Or the very back. Take your pain and you can move it. So you work and you accumulate all this stuff. You get to the end of your life. Maybe it's about passing it on. And so you get ready to pass everything you have to somebody else. You die and what? You get to see them enjoy it? No, you don't. They resent you because that's what you left them? I was with a guy one time and that's exactly what he told me. This is a beautiful house. He said, this house is terrible, stupid, and I hate it. Didn't your dad leave it to you? Yeah, yeah, he did. It was an insult. Sorry I asked. He worked so hard and then left me this. It's an insult. Wow, okay. You can't avoid the pain. You can only relocate it. You choose where you want yours. Sometimes it just comes down the line. But you can choose where you would really like your sorrow. Be meager and work it out now? Yeah. The process of getting it means you don't get to enjoy it. <laughs> Welcome to Fellowship Regional Church. I hope this is an encouraging message to you. Wow, I feel worse now than I felt before. You picked the rainy day to preach the most depressing sermon in the world. Check out what Solomon says next. This is beautiful. This will take us, this will take us to the runway. Verse 17. <laughs> Chapter 2, verse 17. So I hated life. Perfect. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all things I have toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after me. Then he moves on. Verse 22. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving for which he labors under the sun? All the days and the work and the pain and the grief... Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. And then Solomon takes us all the way to the end. Verse 24. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. So what are you saying? So what are you saying? What are you saying, Solomon? What I'm saying is this. Do you do something that just excites you? Now we're talking about moral pleasure. Something God has made you to do, to create, to build, to help, to serve. Something that makes your internal ticker just bounce. Like it is just, it's just what you do. You love to do it and it just works for you. What is that thing? Do you have that thing? I'm not talking about necessarily your job. I'm talking about, do you have the thing that lights you up when you go do it? You know, this is the thing that God put in me to do. 
And maybe it doesn't leave you and God. Maybe it's just you. But do you have that thing? Have you found that thing? Solomon says this, stop looking at life with this unrealistic expectation that life owes you something. See, some of you look at life like this. Well, I think life saw me coming and was like, hey, hurry, hide all the good stuff. She doesn't deserve any of it. That's not true. Life doesn't owe you anything. Life is fickle. Life is flighty. Life doesn't think to itself like, I don't like her. Let's not give her anything good. Life is just fickle. It just can't make up its mind what it wants to do. And so what Solomon says is, I think it's time to readjust your, your expectation and your perspective. Take it back to this deal. You know what's from the hand of God? All of it. Some of us approach it with this unrealistic expectation of life owes me something. I should be happy. I should be happy all the time. I should always get to be happy. Where's my happy? And instead, what we get, two shots of happy and one shot of sad. One shot of happy, two shots of sad. And we don't like it. I want to redo. I want to redo. Solomon says, your perspective's messed up. Turn it around. Look at it the other way. Everything in life, all this, you get. Like, you get. When you come at it with the approach of just like, everybody should be nice. Let me give you an example. It's like when your kid comes home from the playground, from school, and says this. I got picked on on the playground today and I got pushed down and somebody told me, uh, somebody told me that I'm fat and they don't want to play with me and now I think I'm ugly. Listen, if the very first thing you do as a parent is Facebook stalk them so that you can plan a way to assault them, you missed it. You missed the opportunity. If the first thing you do is say to your kid like, well, that's terrible and that's unfair and I'm emailing your teacher. If that's the first thing you do, you missed it. If the first thing you do is call the school board, you missed it. Because your expectation of kids is what? Different than when you were little? Oh, because everybody had... I mean, you went to school too, right? Like, you remember going to the playground and somebody was like, your shoes are stupid. And you're like, well, I didn't even... That's a thing? Really? Like, shoes can be... Okay. Everybody has that experience. But yet, somehow, for some reason, we get in this place to where kids come home and our expectation is kids should be nicer. Don't they teach them anything at school? Kids should be nicer. And what's bad is that we do the same thing with life. Life should be nicer. Life should give me exactly what I want. We're going to teach our kids to do the same thing? Let me tell you what you should do. Is you should grab your kid and you can pull them in and say, you know what? It's because you're better. It's because you're beautiful. This is why people are mean, because people are mean, and you're beautiful, and it's okay, and this experience will change the way you treat people in the future, and it's okay. But think about this. If you spend time worrying about this one person over here who does not like you, you what? Miss out on everything else. And our expectation of life is no different than that. You're going to focus on these little bitty parts, these little pockets, these little spots of shade that are just not so warm and, oh, I just wish it were warmer all the time. 
You're going to miss out on all the good stuff? Check this out. God has made pleasure in the world and compatibility with your body. <clears throat> the reason you listed these off is because you have <clears throat> experienced these. Because your body is compatible to understand these things. How is it that I say this one right here, number one, and then you say the same thing? Because my body is compatible to that, as yours is, as all of yours are. We go down the list. How is this true? Like when we, I say steak, and somebody, some of you are just like, you love steak, don't you? You do love steak. Why? Because we have the same thing. God has created a body for you to be able to enjoy these things. Yet, our focus and our perspective has nothing to do with it. It's like it is not compatible with God's pleasure stuff and our body. Our expectations are out of whack. It's not a physical problem. It's not a God problem. The problem is a perspective problem. So that brings us back here. There's only a couple things we can do. Number one, we have to recognize that God created all this for us. Our attitude is gratefulness and thankfulness. The second part is this. We have to be thankful for the fact that he's created us with bodies and abilities and senses that... Have you ever heard music? And like, a buddy of mine came by the other day and he's like, hey, I've been working on some music. I want to play this for you. I said, okay. He played me this song. I'm not kidding you. And this is, the, and this is a weird deal about me, so you just get over it, all right? He's playing me this song and it's like a, it's like a hip-hop beat. He's put some melodies up underneath it. Hey, I almost start crying. So good. So good. But you know what part really got me? Was watching him because he created this thing and he's like, I don't know if it's good or not. And it was freaking good. Freaking eyes welled up with tears. It was awesome. It was awesome. That God created that for us to be able to hear, listen, touch, taste, see. Next part is this, last part. There's an expectation that comes with this stuff here, the things we find in life that are good, that light us up. The expectation is this. Now you know how God works, and you understand what God has given you so that you enjoy the pleasures of the world, pleasures of life. And so now that you know that, what do you think your responsibility is to everyone else around you? To go out there and to find a way to use those things in life to bring comfort to somebody else. Because there are some people who don't have what you have. And you can bring joy to their life with that right there. There's an expectation that you take those things and you bring glory to God by saying, here's this. Why? Because if I love great music and you have great music and you're selfish and you're not going to give me your great music, forget you. But if you bring your good music into my house and you say, check this out, I love this, and you play it and you share it with me and it connects with me, that's awesome. Your money, your kind words, your wonderful letter writing, which you're so great at, that's great. You bring joy to somebody else. That's bringing glory to God. And what Solomon is saying is this. Do you want to experience God in this life? Readjust your expectations. Readjust your expectations. Stop expecting life to just roll over and just say, okay, I give up, I give up, or whatever you want, you're going to have it, because it's not. 
but rather take whatever it is that you can scoop up, all the little pieces and the particles and all those little moments where you get to get in the sun spot for just a minute, like my little one does in the mornings when she comes in in the summer and she'll come in and she'll crawl into the living room and she, or the dining, or, sorry, kitchen, and she'll sit in the kitchen where the sun comes straight through and it warms up this perfect square on the floor on the laminate and she sits right there and she always says, it's so warm right here. She could complain about the floors are cold because they are. But instead, she goes and she finds this four-foot square, and she just sets in it and says, ooh, it's warm right here. And we could complain, but we're going to be thankful. And what Solomon is saying is, nothing in this world is going to satisfy you. But you know what, Will? If you get a perspective that I am thankful for what I have, I'm thankful that I get to enjoy this world. Listen, this is for Christians, this is for non-Christians. If you don't know Jesus, then you will never know contentment. You will never know peace. You will never have that moment to where you're like, I'm good. I'm good. You won't have it. It'll always be a rush. It'll always be a rush. And I don't mean a rush like, oh, that's a rush. I mean a rush like you're always in a hurry trying to shuffle to find your thing in life. If you don't have Jesus at front and center, you do not find peace. And what Solomon is saying is, I spent years looking for it. You know when I found it? found it when I decided all of this is a gift from God. And I'm going to thank him one by one. As they come into my hand, I'm not going to close my knuckles up around it. I'm going to let it be there. That's mine. I get to hold it for now. And when it flies, I'm going to wait for the next one. I'm not collecting. One of the last verses he says, here is what happens in the world. God takes those who were right with him and he lets them enjoy life and he gives them happiness. But the fool, he will spend his time collecting and gathering so to hand it over to the righteous man. He will spend his time so that he can hand it over to the righteous man. Which are you? Which will you be? The one who holds his hands like this and lets the good things come in and be like, I can't believe this is in my hands. There it goes. That's okay. I can't believe it's back. That's so good. There it goes. Okay. Are you going to be the one that grabs a hold of it, tries to collect and hoard? Without Jesus Christ, without Jesus Christ, you will always be trying to hoard the whole thing. But you've got to let it go.